You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, helping small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, and I will be joined shortly by my co-host, Ed Klass, but we are here in New Orleans, in Louisiana, at the Sage Summit 2015. Folks, this is the largest gathering of small and medium-sized businesses anywhere in the world. With roughly seven, somewhere between seven and eight thousand people, are here. We're at the convention center in downtown New Orleans, and just absolutely thrilled to be here. We've got a jam-packed show today. Uh, we have four guests on, and I'm thrilled to announce my first guest, John Babcock, who I just met a few, uh, fifteen or so minutes ago and had a great conversation with. He is the chief financial officer of Satellite Industries. So, John, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. And and why don't you give us a little background? Tell us what Satellite does and what you do. Well, uh, Satellite Industries, we're a privately held uh, firm, uh, 60 plus years. Uh, we manufacture uh, portable sanitation equipment, which if anybody's been out to a park, an event, affectionately known as the Porta Potty. Um, right. It's, uh, it's a niche industry uh, that we've carved a, a nice niche for ourselves, um, sell around the world. Uh, we're in over 125 countries right now uh, wow. for direct sales, operate in, in eight countries. And um, myself, I've been there 25 years, worked all the way through pretty much every position there. Um, and uh, right now head finance accounting and uh, global supply chain. IT uh, with the company. How long have you been CFO? Uh, going on five years now. Wow, wow. Wow, so I guess you're number one in the number two business. And that's not a new one to me. That's <laughs> not a new one to you. Okay, <laughs> I didn't think it would be. Yeah, <laughs> Ed said, you got to say that. And I said, I bet he's heard that before. <laughs> um, but no, this is fascinating because uh, I, I was looking at some of your, uh, your, your stats here and one thing that really caught my eye was you say portable toilets worldwide save over 125 million gallons of, of fresh water a day. Yeah, it's it's really interesting the 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 niche of the the specific application of a portable restroom, uh, whether it's construction, event, uh, disaster relief. You've got an application that you've got a sanitation issue, and you need to contain it, and then it takes water, and rather than building a conventional facility, whether it's a state fair or a short-term event, uh, such as coming up, the, the Pope visiting uh, New mm. Jersey here this year. There's going to be sure. one million people out listening to his mass, and you need to provide sanitation. So saving that flushing application globally uh, just saves a massive amount of water. So it's interesting to me, just from, you know, because I'm a, like we discussed, I'm a recovering CPA mm -hmm. and you're a CFO, but... So you must get orders pretty far in advance for events like the Pope's visit and, and other things, but you also must have really short-term crisis too because I noticed that your 
you're certified by FEMA is one of the most important things in in a disaster. Yeah, our our customer base uh, extends from mom and pop uh, small businesses all the way up to major uh, public companies, and so. We deal with customers that have an annual CAPEX budget, that plan in advance, give us really good lead time on when we need to provide product. And then we've got relatively smaller companies that literally go out every day and say, oh, I'm short this week, I need some by tomorrow. Right. And we got to respond globally to all situations like that. So you really have to kind of manage your capacity to make sure you always have capacity for those immediate needs while still having the capacity for your longer term. Yeah, global supply chain is quite a task. Uh, and, and anybody who's, who's managed inventory knows that, you know, you just never have the right product at the right place at the right time consistently, and you've just got to stay as, as far ahead as you can. Right. You know, one of the areas that Ed and I talk a lot on about the show is we're both pricers. Mm-hmm. And we're both certified professional pricers with the Professional Pricing Society. We're on the faculty. And I just want to ask you, how do you guys approach your pricing? And, and do you have pricers in your company? Well, we're, it's interesting. Being a fixed asset type of equipment supplier where there, it's, a, it's a relatively fixed um, cost that people buy, um, we've always wanted to get into more seasonal pricing, demand-based mm-hmm. pricing. Um, we're, we basically roll out our price for the entire year. And if there's resin fluctuations or raw materials or exchange rates that affect it dramatically, we'll reprice. Mm-hmm. But uh, in general, it's, it's fairly fixed. And we've always strived to want to change ourselves to more demand-based. Uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, maybe it's supply-based uh, in addition to demand. If sure. we've got excess capacity in one area, let's let's drive the market in that direction through um, just dynamic pricing. Sure, sure. And, there, and there's usually opportunities pricers can find yeah. um, that would do exactly that. But one thing I also found interesting, you said that your company is also the industry's first, um, developed the, the f- industry's first customer loyalty program. ROI rewards. Can you kind of explain that? We're, we're a little unique among all of our competitors in that we call our, we're, we're a full service provider. So you basically have a, uh, uh, sanitation, uh, equipment needs. So you've got a portable restroom, you've got large service trucks that are tasked with pumping and moving the waste to septic, um, and, and treatment facilities. You've got cleaning supplies that have to go with that. So the as we all kind of know, the blue chemical in the tank or the, um, the fragrances and so forth. Um, and, and we want to retain and capture all that business from our customers, make them a whole service customer rather than just buying one of our major segments. And so we uh, incite heavily on rewards uh, for buying consumables that you can then in turn redeem for more products from us. That's fantastic. And how's that been working for you? You know, it's it's been fairly successful. Uh, we've we've kind of like your frequent flyer miles. Uh, yeah, exactly. We're, we're the frequent flyer mile of the sanitation so, industry. No, you know what? <laughs> the frequent flyer miles are incredibly uh, effective. Well, and I find myself even personally shopping at businesses that reward and incent you, and you'll you'll buy a little bit more just to get over that threshold where you sure. can redeem something. Sure. Um, and for a traditional hard goods manufacturer. Um, there's not, you know, it's not terribly widespread out there when we're right. a, a big B2B type of, we're not a retailer, we're a, 
or a, a B2B hard goods manufacturer. Sure. You know, Ed and I have a theory, I'll run this by you, that, you know, this B2B distinction and B2C, I know there's some useful distinctions in there, but we just think it's P2P. It's all people of people. It is. It's all just relationships. Yes. And even if it's a business, it's still because people buy things. Companies don't buy anything. People in companies buy things. If you develop relationships, reward their loyalty, give them a reason to be loyal, they will be loyal even if they're a business purchaser, won't they? Yes, they will. I mean, I'm, you hit the nail on the head with that one. Uh, being Having a stint in purchasing with our de- company as well, it's not the company that's buying from you. It's me that's buying from you and right. my relationship and my comfortableness that I'm going to buy something that's going to make me look good. It's going to get me the best price. It's going to get me the performance. I'm buying on a personal relationship and personal trust. Right, right. That's excellent. Um, the other thing I found really interesting, John, was you say that over 90% of the toilets in the UK are flushing, 60% in Europe, but only 3% in the US. Yeah, it's What accounts a, for that? It's a, it's a unique, you go around the world, and again, being a very niche, unique industry that you have to keep your sense of humor to be in, um, there's, there's toilet culture all around the world, and people view it differently. Uh, you get into, for example, the UK, where it's highly regulated. Not only does mm-hmm. it have to be flushing, it has to be warm water flushing that has a sink that has full forearm all the way up to the elbow that you can oh, wash. Wow. Uh, as opposed to the U.S., which most people have experienced a portable restroom, mm-hmm. it's very, very simple. It's, it's a, in, in essence, a, a repository uh, to, to hold the waste versus in the U.K. where it's, uh, it's closer to your home experience. Right, so it's not it maybe it's not just the regulations driving that; it's a reflection of the culture driving the regulations. That it is, and and you know our challenges are uh, uh, women, children um, uh, tend to not be the the greatest fan of our products. Um, mm-hmm. As a father of four, and same situation, I could be out at a state fair. I will stay and spend more money if the sanitation needs are taken care of versus having to leave early and go home right. because my kids don't want to use the portable toilet. Right. That's a great point. Wow, that's a great point. You also talk about the, uh, your company satellite uh, product safe Tom Hanks and Castaway. Can you <laughs> can you shed some light on that? Yeah, we uh, that's our, our brief claim to fame uh, other than being cameos in a number of movies every day, but uh, you'll remember the scene where the, the panel from one of our units washed up washed. on the shore and he made it into the sail on his raft, and he sailed off uh, of the oh, island. Okay. So we we saved Tom Hanks' life, in essence. Uh, you know, everybody remembers the Wilson and the the FedEx, yes. but yeah, but uh, that's that's but awesome. Nobody remembers the porta potty. <laughs> Excellent. Um, you know, I, when I was younger, I worked on a construction job, and um, yeah, the guys that used to come to empty out the porta potties yeah. on the site are they still called Candyman? You know, every region (laughs) has got its own slang for it, and you go everywhere in the world, and every every different culture has got a different um, word for it. What are some of them? Oh boy, just out Uh, of curiosity. We got the the honey buckets. We've got uh, uh, the wizards of ooze is one of our customers. There's, um, you know, it's 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 one of the industries. It's a very serious and important uh, industry, yet. It, it deals with an aspect of human life that you, you know, you, you just have to you have sure. a light heart with. No, absolutely. 
No, that's great. Um, one thing that I did want to ask you, since you're a CFO and we talk a lot about this as well, is you know one of the one of the criticisms of accountants is to run your business with the accounting reports is like timing your cookies with your smoke alarm, mm-hmm. right? Because we're backwards looking, and um, I, I want to get your reaction to this because, and I think I told you I'm a recovering accountant. Peter Drucker's last public appearance was at a CEO conference in Seattle. So nothing but CEOs in the room. And he came out on stage and he said, he says, I have one thing to tell you. He said, the person who knows your company the least is your CFO. Because all they do is solve problems and look backwards and deal with the numbers you need to create tomorrow. And I thought that was pretty harsh. But I also thought there's an element of truth to that. And it sounds to me, just by your background and some of the way you describe things, you're very operational focused, and you are more strategic. That uh, that is a it's a very challenging statement. Um, if, if coming from Drucker, who I really respect, yeah. If if you run a business on the P and L, um, there's there's things behind the numbers that can be bellwethers of how your business is really doing that are not reflected in the numbers. I always tell people when you look at variances, you can get positive and negative variances that zero out to zero and look great on a P&L, yet you're so far off on your absolutes that the alarm bell should be going off in a certain segment. On average, everybody in the world has one testicle, right? I mean, (laughs) the numbers can be distorted that way. Exactly, yes. So it's... um, uh, it, it helps a lot to when you're looking at a P&L to actually have been through it, know the numbers, know what's behind it, and be able to dig into it. Because uh, right. the numbers do not always just represent the state of the business. So how do you maintain a strategic role? What, how, do you, how do you maintain that focus in your role? Uh, personally, currently, I, I, I run finance and accounting, but I also run uh, supply chain. Mm-hmm. So not only am I tasked with making the numbers, but I'm also tasked with the, the physical work of, of running a supply chain that has to make the numbers. So when I have a large variance on materials, it's just as much my problem as a manufacturing head as it is a finance head. Right. So I've, I've got both hands in, in two different pockets, I guess. And do, you, do you think it's better if a CFO comes up through the ranks? I do. I do. Uh, it, it, you, you just you know so much more about the business. Um, you know what's behind the numbers, not just the numbers. Right. You see things from the coalface perspective as well. Well, John, this has been fascinating. I really appreciate you coming on The Soul of Enterprise. And how can people get a hold of you? Uh, you can check out our website, www.satelliteindustries.com, or go to Google. And thanks to Google, you put in portable toilet or portable restroom and (laughs) we're always number one and you'll come right up (laughs) all right well john thank you so much it's been a pleasure thank Thank you. you the truth face the facts this is voiceamerica.com depend on it as an entrepreneur you're on an adventure 
But there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting, and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit sageone.com today. Your free trial is waiting. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Informative, educational, insightful. You're listening to voiceamerica.com. are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit verisage.com you may also tweet us at verisage that's v-e-r-a-s-a-g-e now back to the soul of enterprise all right well welcome back everybody we're here uh at sage summit 2015 in beautiful downtown new orleans at the convention center it's been a heck of a conference so far I'm still waiting on my co-host, Ed, who's finishing up a session, and our next guest hasn't arrived yet, so I'm going to hold over, luckily, John Babcock from Satellite Industries, and he's been talking about the uh, portable restroom industry and other such things, and I wanted to ask you, uh, John, you said you had a six-year assignment in Tokyo, Japan. How was that? It was uh, it was quite a challenge actually. Um, I, I had the luck of at least going to high school and, and college in Japan, so was able to speak the language oh and, wow. and was comfortable with um, with living there. Um, satellite was my first career, uh, first job out of college, and um, after a number of years with them, we decided to open up a, a division in Asia, um, acquire some Japanese products, manufacture in Japan. And uh, had the opportunity to, to go. So up, wow. uprooted my family and we lived, uh, lived in Japan for six years. How'd you like it? You know, it was, uh, it was a fascinating time. Uh, I bet. It's, it's so just almost opposite of the U.S. culture as far as um, uh, just social interactions. Um, there's this whole theory of the, the high context versus low context communications. And we always hear about... You know, in Japan, you can say no to someone's face, uh, or you can say yes to someone's face, but everyone knows you mean no. You mean no. And and in the U.S., we tend to be, you know, I I tell you what I'm thinking. Um, so it, it took a lot of finesse to f- eventually get in and figure all that out. I bet. Yeah. I bet. A lot wow. of mistakes along the way. That's for sure. Learning. Is is the cult? Is the work culture as hard as uh, driven as you read about some of these? publications like the economist you know, that people work really hard long hours and then they go to a bar and drink and that's just kind of expected it um it's not far off of that we uh our, our office hours were long um uh, they were highly inefficient um so coming in as a as an american manager uh managing sales it 
you you want results and um, we're often faced with situations where the the salespeople uh, from the Japanese organization they were rewarded more on how many sales calls they made a day versus what the actual results were the process almost overtook the results the result so you could be a better performer by making 10 calls a day and selling nothing than you could making one call a day and actually making a sale right so uh, it, it from a business aspect it, it took quite a bit uh, to get dialed into that wow wow um, the other thing you know we were talking earlier before the break about the CFO role and it trying to become more strategic um, and I know you're a privately held company so you don't deal with Sarbanes-Oxley so much yep. but you you're probably audited by a external auditor yep. and you know you you understand accounting w- what do you think are some of the major challenges facing the accounting profession I mean I guess what I'm asking you is what what more things do you wish your accounting firm would do for you that they're not oh boy that's a good one it's um this the struggle that we always have is regulatory versus I guess in what my mind I would call common sense so there's uh, there's revenue recognition that if you went strictly by the book Anything that, you know, is in transit, not yet delivered, is not revenue recognizable. Yet, you have an average of one-day transit time. So, are you really going to account for a one-day transit? On You, you could go crazy uh, managing the, the details of that one from a common sense standpoint. The business sense tells you just don't. Just don't. Right. So, it's that, it's that balance between... Uh, I, I tell you, I'm very harsh on the accounting profession. I think they've become a checklist mentality rather than, like you say, just common sense. And we're just too busy following the rules, even though the rules might produce an Enron. Right, right. Uh, a large part of our audit is reclassification. No mm-hmm. impact to the bottom line, but just move it from one bucket to around. the other. And operationally, it just sucks up time and energy and has no tangible impact on the business. No value added Yet it's anywhere. it's a lot of activity. Yeah, wow. So we, we struggle with that. Well, John, our next guest did show up, so right. uh, I'm going to thank you for holding over with us. Yeah, this no has problem. been great. It's Fan- been fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. That's John Babcock, folks, CFO of Satellite okay. Industries. Thank you so much for appearing on The Soul of Enterprise. Great. Thank you. And Ed, welcome. Yo. Well, man, how'd your session go real fast? <laughs> it, was, it was good. It was good. Uh, they're all good. Yeah, strategy. We were talking about business strategy and the whole idea that, hey, listen, you know, strategy in today's world, uh, especially for small and medium businesses, but I think also for large organizations, is more about what are you going to say no to? Right. That's right? a great point. Yeah. Well, we just had a great discussion with John Babcock. And by the way, your joke flopped. He's heard it a million times. So oh. I just wanted to let you know. Which joke? Uh, you know, the number one and the number two oh, business. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I he's heard it. Yeah, yeah I, sure. I, I figured that he heard everything. Yeah, so no. There, there, no way to raise the bar on that. But hey, look, uh, I'll let you take over and introduce our next guest who I'm really excited to have with us. Yes, well, we now have John Field from Axiom Business Solutions. He's coming to, all of, to us from Melbourne. And did I say that right this time? <laughs> Mil- Melbourne, Australia. John, you've got a fascinating business. You're a Sage 300 partner that you do about 70% of your business in North America, even though you're located in Australia. That's one hell of a commute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a long bus ride to work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, tell us a little bit about your business. I think you have a fascinating business. So we have a business basically um, helping to support cemeteries in the management of their systems. 
and across a whole range of requirements from you know the outline and the mapping of the product of the property you know who owns what who's been interred where but basically assisting them to service their families yep. really as well it's about yeah, and if and if anybody lives, I, I think and breathes around the soul of enterprise, it's it's uh, um, John and his wife Anne. Oh, who, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you, you talk about what they do. It, it is it is truly a vocation for you guys, isn't it? It's it a, is it's pretty a much, calling, yeah. yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you're about preserving what's Anne's word, legacy. Is yep. that the word? Yep. Legacy for people. Yeah, the it it really is about being able to take forward the the life story of these people. And, and preserving those yeah, memories. And preserving those memories. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And th- there's some fascinating things, though, about the cemetery business that I, I, I want to get into a little bit with you. So little, little quirks, obviously, that, <laughs> yep. uh, that every business has. But I think cemeteries in particular. G- describe for me, because I, I remember a fascinating conversation you and I had about the long-term thinking of a cemetery. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> Long-term thinking for them is really a hundred years. <laughs> really, they're not like quarter to quarter. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that's very much in the short term. Yeah. Even what's going to happen next year, short term. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. maybe the f- a decade is still potentially. It's probably getting into the medium. Medium, yeah. medium. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, they're really looking for long-term relationships and long-term partnerships. Yep, and once you get in, they're they they love you they're forever. They're very loyal. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yep. So there's a very strong loyalty and fraternity. And yeah. how, so, how did you get in there? How, what, what was? Did you just happen across yeah. a cemetery? So it is a bit of a happening. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, we had been working with uh, funeral homes, and a cemetery in Australia looked, searched the world really for solutions, um, found something in the US, and they got referred back to the distributor in Australia, and they said. They cutely said, well, you're the people that work with dead people, so we'll forward it on to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. And, and you know, from there we, we built a solution with, the, with this organization and, and then really had a vision to, you know, that that could be a solution that could be used right across our country and globally. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and tell us now a little bit about, like, the because some of the, the mapping that you're doing with this stuff, because I think this is really, because it's, it's three-dimensional it's, mapping. Yep. yep. Right? Yep. So we, we're basically um, mapping the, the property to lay out, um, the, you know, it's, it's like really like a, a scaled-down version of a city. You know, mm-hmm. the lots are just smaller. Um, but, of course, they have above-ground buildings, you know, as you do in downtown. Yep. Um, and and therefore, you want to flip that around and be able to look at, um, you know, an elevation on, on that as well. Right, because you, you really And, of course, most mapping products don't have those yeah, facilities, so we have to add them. It's really a specialty um, that this industry wants. Because two, you know, two yeah. dimensions, you have to go to three. You have yeah, to, you know, right. go down So you've got to well. virtualize it. Yeah. Amazing. Good stuff, and your your products are are you getting into the mobility and people absolutely, being able, being yeah. able so to hand <coughs> find their loved one when they get to the cemetery with a handheld device. Yes, absolutely. We we have taken the product uh, both from a mapping perspective and, and now also, I mean, we are really more seated within CRM um, because that provides us totally with the mobility um, that the the representative of the cemetery can be in a family home they can be in a meeting room with somebody they can be out in the grounds um the the staff 
Um, the grounds people can be in the grounds and, and updating what, what they're achieving and mm-hmm. then pulling that straight back in through the system. Yep. And your, your biggest one is in New York, is that right? Yes, at the moment. Um, yep. Soon to be outdone, but yes. Oh, wow. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, we have a, a large client in New York that really have a number of above ground buildings. Interesting. Ron, mm. Ryan, you have questions? Yeah, John, we have a client who spoke at a, a funeral uh, conference, uh, the funeral parlors and funeral homes, and they were bemoaning the fact that the funeral is becoming a commodity. And he heard this over this three-day conference, and his closing keynote, he said, what would happen if Disney entered your industry? In other words, if Disney did funerals. Well, Ed, just parenthetically on that, Ed and I interviewed a Disney executive, former Disney executive, a few weeks ago who said the person who used to run Epcot Center at Walt Disney World has entered the funeral business to bring more of an hmm. experience to it. But how are funeral parlors and home cemeteries dealing with becoming a commodity? I think very much trying to come up with an individualized experience for people um, which you know moves away from that commodity experience uh, there's always going to be certain groups that are going to you know push based on price and 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 turn it more into a commodity but um, people really are looking for a very personal experience at that time right it, it, it's Commodity doesn't serve well. Right, no, right. The, the ultimate individualistic experience. Yes, right. It is. Right? So, so we're going to ask you. What do you think of Summit so far? It's been great. Yeah, um, been a very busy couple of days. Yeah, <laughs> um, and really enjoying it. Yeah, have you? Yeah. No, I've been, you, been here several times. Before. Several times. Before. Yeah. No, were you here last year? Missed last year. Okay, so yeah. you missed. So, what do you think of the the, the format with the, the openness? Format is, and, yeah, it's really know, good. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, so that that works for you. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I do feel a little bit like the, a carnival barker, but yeah, it's a little right. challenging in a couple of those locations in terms of the groups competing with each other, but it's but it's good. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and the, lots of good stuff going on. You're learning some yes. some stuff. You're going to be bringing yep. back. And what Absolutely. what's the top thing? Top that you've just come on kind of come up with. Uh, Hard to say. I really yeah, <laughs> really just um, it's great to take time out, listen to other leaders, and and be challenged to. You know, think about the business differently, and that's really what I've, I think what I've been finding myself doing these days, these couple of days, is really trying to rethink, you know, how we can be a whole lot better at what we're trying to do. Wow, wow, well, great, that's good. And, and John, you did make a few years, several years ago, a, a kind of a transition away from hourly billing and more to a firm of the future type model yes. that Ed and I discussed. Can you talk a little bit about that transition and the challenges you had? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's an evolution, I think. We, we are moving through it slowly. Um, we're just really trying to focus more on the value um, and, and not trying to, you know, just not trying to do a time-based billing system that we used to do. Um, and I think it's working for us and working well. Okay. Oh, excellent. Hmm. Excellent. So, well, fantastic. Well, what, what la- last thoughts here? We're running <laughs> up against time. So <laughs> any, okay. anything you want to want to share with us that you, you're, you're from Summit or New Orleans? What's, what, have you had a good meal? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Had a, had a few good oysters. <laughs> 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 Enjoy the seafood. No, it's, and it's been great. Yep. It's been great being here. Um, great to go home, too. <laughs> All right. Well, John, for thanks for being a guest on the Solar. Yes, oh, John, thank you so minute? much. We got one more minute. Oh, one more minute. Yeah. Okay, one more minute. great. <laughs> but, John, explain your experience getting rid of the timesheet. <clears throat> I, I think 
I think the challenge that we're that we're still grappling with it in a lot of ways, I think, is is what is getting the right measurements in place in the business to, to, to really right. know what we should be measuring. And yeah, we're still exploring that, I think. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that's really where... Well, maybe you picked up a couple things from my session two uh, minutes, well, got more minutes to, ago. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, thank you so much for appearing on The Soul of Enterprise and enjoy the rest of the summit. Thank you both very much. the truth face the facts this is voiceamerica.com depend on it as an entrepreneur you're on an adventure but there are parts of your business like revenue and expenses that don't feel very adventurous at sage one we get it we give you tools like easy invoicing simple accounting and reporting so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit SageOne.com today. Your free trial is waiting. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business and the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Have you become four new employees? A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit BelieveInYourNumbers.com today. Informative. Educational. Insightful. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. 
Now, back to the soul of enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here at Sage Summit 2015 in New Orleans. And Ed, I'm really excited. We have literally hundreds of years of New Orleans history sitting in front of us (laughs) in the retail uh, space. This is great. We have Steve Cohen, the Vice President and General Counsel of James H. Cohen and Sons. And we have, I don't want to Watch your name, Macau. Michael. 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 Michael Adler, the manager of Adler's Jewelry. And we have Kenny Rubenstein from uh, Rubenstein's uh, Clothing, Fine Clothing Store. So I'm really excited to have all you guys here. Thank you for joining us on the Soul of Enterprise. Thank you for having us. And uh, Steve, I'll start with you. Uh, Why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Tell us what you do. I think it's fascinating. Well, we're in the antique business, but it's a spin-off version of the antique business. It's really antique collectibles, and that doesn't mean just one thing. Um, if, if I had to put one name on it, I'd put we're in the coin business, rare coin business, but we deal with all kinds of collectibles, antique arms and armors, uh, arms and armor, military things. Um, we, we, we've had a number of items uh, such as uh, antique medical instruments, uh, a, a lot of things that, that are not mainstream, and living in this city, we, we've, we've sold uh, and bought over the number of years um, Mardi Gras ball invitations, very, wow. very old ones going back to the 1800s. These are pretty rare and collectible in this city. Um, so anyway, we, we're, we're not mainstream, but coin business would be the main thing if you want to put a label on it. And, and you've been around since 1898 in the French yeah, Quarter. That, that's accurate. Yeah, the business was actually started by my great-grandfather under the name of Feldman's Antique Emporium. It evolved into James Cohen and Sons after my father split off from a couple of uncles. And, and here we are. I'm fourth generation. I have a son who's fifth generation in our business. Wow. And you were a former lawyer. Yeah, I practiced for four years, uh, but I was still doing this the whole time. This, this is my thing. This is your passion. Yep, this is it. Awesome. Hey, I want to ask you, uh, it sounds like you just see some incredible stuff coming into your store and people. What's the most unusual, unique item that you've ever bought, Ooh. sold, appraised? It's hard to, hard to put one label on one item. Um, I, I guess I would, I would say if you want one thing, we had a Gatling gun. It, it was an old... Uh, mid 1800s, uh, like a prede- predecessor to a machine gun. It, it had the hand crank. You see these in the sure. old cowboy movies. Um, that that was probably the neatest item we've had. Um, uh, we've had well, there's another one that, that's almost up at that level, which might not be as sexy as that. We had a bathtub that belonged to a French military general, but this was the bathtub that he took on the road with him, and and it. <laughs> It almost looks like a great big lounge chair, but, but it was waterproof, and it, it had uh, all kind of painting on it with his name and, and various battle scenes, and, and that, that, that was pretty neat. Both of those things are long gone. Um, unfortunately, in our kind of business, you can't keep everything, so um, we can only talk about those and show you pictures. Sure, sure. Well, that might explain the French's uh, success with war, but uh, <laughs> Michael, I'll jump over to you, and you're uh, the manager of Adler's Jewelry, so why don't you explain your, your store, and your, but you've also been around since 1898. 1898. Yeah, wow. same as Stephen. So we are a 117-year-old manufacturing jewelry store. We do high-end jewelry, including uh, Rolex, Pedic, Philippe, Cartier watches, and we also manufacture jewelry. We also have a, a full-service gift business that includes bridal registry, china, crystal silver, personal accessories, and that sort of thing. Oh, excellent. And, and I, I love your personal mission, by the way, to empower the company to deliver happiness without limits. That's brilliant. 
Yes, and I, I think one of the challenges today in a business our size with about 70 employees is to, is to deliver every experience to every touch that a customer gets as if they were dealing with an owner. So whether that's an, in, an electronic interaction on our web page or our social media, or it's a delivery person, or uh, any, any one of our service people or salespeople, we want to empower everybody to make sure that every experience is the best experience that it can be for our consumers. I love it. You, you say that uh, retail is in your blood, and um, you know one of the gentlemen that Ed and I really admire is a guy, Stanley Marcus, mm-hmm. one of the founders of, or son of the founder of Neiman Marcus. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a great autobiography, I don't know if you've read it, called Minding the Store. Mm-hmm. And it's just phenomenal. And he had that, he, he just exuded retail and service. And, and it was just, he's just a, a mentor of mine. Well, the way I tell the story is, is that our family has got Jewish heritage. And that uh, we've also got branches that are Catholic and Christian. And people say, well, what are you? And I say that, well, we grew up retail which means we work for six days a week and we barbecued on Sunday. Right. I love it. Well, that's awesome. And Kenny uh, Rubenstein from uh, Rubenstein's uh, Fine Clothing Store, 91-year-old also in uh, St. Charles. And yeah, in only, normal, uh, only 91 years. Only 91 years. Yeah, so you're, not you're as the old youngster as, on the you're block. The, yeah, yeah right. you're, you're the kid. But uh, <laughs> you've got some fascinating stories too. But why don't you give us some background on what you guys do? Uh, yeah, well, we are um, uh, a third-generation men's uh, fashion clothing store. Um, so we cover the man from head to toe, whatever you might need, as well as some things you can carry with you. Uh, and uh, it was my great-uncle uh, who started it, uh, actually, because uh, he wanted to get married. And his uh, future father-in-law said, well, you can't marry my daughter unless you have a job. Now, I find that humorous because I assume he meant like a, a legitimate job like you know uh, working in a in a company for 40 years as a you know ibm or gm or something like that but i guess that worked uh he got to start the business and got married and my grandfather joined him a year later uh my grandfather's kind of the, the money man uh, my my great uncle was a great merchant a great merchandiser but he had a little trouble with the cash part of it so uh mm. my grandfather got in and that's how they did it they split the business in half like that and uh and then my 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 grandfather took it all over, and my father and uncle joined, and then now it's down to me. I found it really interesting that you said you reopened 51 days after Hurricane Katrina. In fact, I want to ask all you uh, how you were affected by that, but that that's pretty quick, isn't it? Well, yeah, it was, uh, you know, we, we evacuated. We were in Houston, and then we, well, I moved my family to Dallas because I have a lot, of, well, not only is there a lot of retail vendors and stuff, people I knew there, but I went to school in Dallas. Um, and... So we were there, and we gathered together. Actually, we gathered in Houston originally and said, what do we want to do? The city's gone, all right? Do we want to help rebuild it? Do we have a business there? What do we want to do? And we all unanimously said, let's, let's give it a go. We're going to do it. So we, it took a few days before we could get back into town, um, but we managed to finally finagle passes to get into town to survey the damage and all that. And we, saying earlier, we got our employees together. We convinced some of them through a... a Basically financial, we offered to pay them for the whole time. This is the day we're going to open, and if you're here then, you'll get all the you get 70% to start and get the rest of it if you're here the day we open. And they came back, and employees were on the floor pulling up carpets, uh, cutting up drywall with the contractors finally come in. And as a team, we rebuilt the store. What was the strangest thing is we didn't think, well, would there be any business? Well, we literally have the rugs pulled up, we got walls cut out, and we had people walk in the store saying, I need clothes. I mean, I'm going to New York for an interview or I'm going to New York for this business and my house is underwater. I've got nothing. 
He said, I need some clothes. So we were, I mean, we were technically open before 51 days. We were yeah. se- selling already. But uh, that's when we officially opened the doors all ready to go. So it took a lot of work and a lot of teamwork. And you it said was. it was one of the best sales years ever. Yeah. After, I mean, and that was, I mean, it was fortunate for us. Uh, uh, if you look at the silver lining, I mean, the fact is most houses were underwater. I mean, everything that people had was lost. So it wasn't like, oh, oh, this got wet or I got a few of my suits. They had nothing. So they had to rebuild their wardrobe. So we benefited in a sense from that. Now, I say we benefited. We had our entire store when we opened. The day we opened was 30% off, every single thing. And this is August. Brand new merchandise is delivered in August. It all came in new. We put everything at 30% off. And, uh, I mean, it, we felt that was the right thing to do. I mean, these people needed clothes. And uh, it's not about making the money. It's about making sure people can be productive yeah. and come back to New Orleans to help rebuild the city because... <laughs> Our store open by itself wouldn't be much of a city. (laughs) Steve, how were you impacted by Katrina? We were shut down for about the same period of time, but when our store opened about two months after the hurricane, we we had very little walk-in traffic. So we had to, fortunately for us, many of our customers, most in fact, live out of town. So we were able to do business with people in other cities. And and the fact that the store was actually open but not not really open didn't come into play too badly. We, We got by. Um, we, were, we were back up and running, I'd say, at, at full speed about a year later. Excellent. How about you, Michael? What, what happened to you? Well, our situation is a, l- a little bit more dynamic in that at the time of the storm, we had four stores. So our flagship store on Canal Street, just a block away from Rubenstein's, was flooded and looted. Then our French Quarter store had roof damage. Our mall store across the river, the entire mall burned to the ground. The store burned to, gr- to the ground with it. And then we had one store that was okay, and that was at Lakeside Mall. In, uh, in Metairie, a suburb of New Orleans. Immediately after the storm, we had to regroup, recover, and start figuring out a plan for how we were gonna be in business for the fall because our selling season was nearly upon us at that time. We had vendors we had to deal with, we had customers, merchandise in our possession, so we had a, a very active recovery plan that took several weeks to even begin to engage in those things. We were also open on Canal Street probably within 60 days. I think it was November 1st we opened to back up. But there was no people. People don't need a new Rolex watch to go to their meeting. <laughs> so right. we didn't have any customers. Pants, yes. Rolex watch. <laughs> <not everybody. laughs> they, they get that later. So we in that fall, we moved a lot of merchandise to Baton Rouge. We opened a temporary store in Baton Rouge for the season. We moved a lot of merchandise to Metairie. Um, we had a, re- a reasonable season, but it was a challenging season for us. Uh, a lot of our customers were gone. They were in other places. And the people that would normally be coming into the city, visiting our store, visiting our store as a destination, weren't coming at that time. So it was, it was a rough year. But then if you look at what happened the next year, 2006, 2007, there was a little bit of a boom at that time. In fact, most retailers had a boom such that they eclipsed their pre-Katrina numbers, at least for those two seasons, 2007, before the recession came on, on us all in 2008. Uh, I just want, and Michael just mentioned it kind of, but one of the things Katrina did was actually prepare us for the recession. Um, we had our catastrophe and, and we, had to, we had to clean up our business. We had to really be smart businessmen. And so by the time the recession started hitting, we had this, we had this nice bump to start and the recession came, it wasn't as hard here in New Orleans as it was elsewhere because we were thinking right at that time. And we, we were already in our catastrophe mode. And, and, and I think that was important to the success of our business that we could recover quickly. 
That's a good point. Our, our business community had kind of gotten cleaned up. People had to decide whether to come back at all, like Kenny talked about. And so you, you actually had a lot of businesses that didn't come back. So the, the weaker businesses in our, in our e- local economy had, to some extent, been weeded out by the storm before the recession hit us. Kind of an anti-fragile kind of thing. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. But I, I want to ask uh, each of you, let's l- thank you, first of all, for sharing your stories. It's just amazing that you guys all came back and, and, and stuck with it. It's just that perseverance is just a wonderful thing. But I want to let's talk about the future now. Let's, let's, let's talk about wh- wh- where things are going. And we're here at the, the largest gathering of small and medium-sized businesses on the planet. A lot about technology. What is it that is the, the retail market in general and your business in specific that's facing that you think in the next three to five years from a technology front, how that's going to impact your business specifically? So, Well, my, my answer won't be exactly what you're looking for because we're not totally dependent on computers. We, we have a, a, a dynamite retail location in the French Quarter, New Orleans, and our lifeblood, unlike most other people, is customers who walk in our front door. Fortunately, the city still gets a large number of visitors, both tourists and convention visitors, so we still have that. Now, all that behind us, we, 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 do, a, we do have a web presence. I have a son who takes care of that. It's not my, not my part of the business. He's 35, and, and that's, that's his thing, but, um, and he does a good job of it. But um, the, the store is, is the main thing for us. We, we've got uh, 117 years' worth of customers built up. Uh, of course, many of those 117-year-old customers are no longer with us, but their families are. But, but that, that's the main part of our business. We, we, we service our customers. We, we continually add to our customer base. Um, and, and right now, um, we're, we're working with third and fourth generations of the same family of retail customers. So we're fortunate in that respect because we, we, we don't lose people. We, we tend to keep them and keep them coming back. And, and that's, that's our game plan. Great. All right, Michael? Well, you've asked an incredibly broad question because technology today impacts every single aspect of your business, whether it's your business office, your marketing, uh, even the products today as as we start to get smart jewelry and and smart watches and things that we're actually selling over the counter that that technology impacts. The, The design and manufacturing process is heavily impacted by technology today. So I think that today and in the, in the future, what we're doing is studying it intensively and constantly. We have, whether it's on the manufacturing side or the marketing side or the technology in our business offices, we are constantly working with what is new, what is next. Um, and I'll go ahead, I and mean, we're here at the Sage Conference, I'll give Sage a plug. One of the reasons that we're with, with a Sage product is because it's such a ubiquitous product in the business marketplace. We've gone through cycles of investing in custom programming and, and building machines from scratch and going through these cycles where we've built something that nobody else really has that you don't have nothing to migrate into when you get to the end of it. So particularly in the business office side of things, when you look at a product like Sage, there's always a migration path which is going to help us a lot in our costs going forward in perpetuity. So right. that's just one of the things, but I could talk for a long time about, well, you could start me on social media or your web page or your, or, or your digital electronic sales uh, as a component of a bricks and mortar store. Uh, it just there's no end to it. Well, it, the, we, I guess the tip would have been when 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 Apple hired the the head of Burberry to right. There's gonna, okay, <laughs> we're, there, there's going to be a change. Changes are coming. Indeed. Right. Right for that. So amazing. So yeah. Go ahead. It's two part question to answer in my mind because it it relates somewhat to what Michael's saying. The technology, I mean, back office and things like that are important. There's a lot of aspect there currently we're doing. I'm actually 
trying to find a new POS system right now uh, because the company I'm using has decided December 31st they're no longer going to support it. Okay. Thank you for that surprise. So, uh, <laughs> um, so I'm in the midst of that. But as I'm doing that, the issue I think with technology, with websites, with social media, which we're all trying, I'm looking at hiring possibly someone to handle all that for me. It's it's our business. It's the nature of our business. We are a customer, and I hate using the word customer service these days because everybody throws that out. But we're service. We're about the personal service. You don't come to my, you can get, you can buy a Zenia suit in other places. But when you come to me, you know I know what I'm talking about. You know I will fit that garment in-house. We'll tailor it. It'll fit you perfect. We will put it on you knowing it will look good. We're not going to let you walk out the store. Even if you say, this is the way I like to wear it, it doesn't look good. Look, you want to look right, this is the way to wear it. That kind of thing. And I don't know as though technology is there yet to help me in that. I, it may be, and I'm trying to figure that out. And that's the hardest part, is how can I sell on the web without that personal contact? I mean, sure, I could stick it up on the web, but who wants to buy a Brioni suit for $6,000 by just clicking a button? <laughs> it's tough. No, no, nobody right now, but who would have <laughs> wanted, wanted to buy an Apple Watch for 17000 either, right? That's, that's a challenge. And remember, did, did one day... Did somebody buy that? Yeah, I think they have. Well, one day, the $17,000 Apple Watch will end up yeah. in your store. <laughs> Very well made. I'll be glad to see like it. A hundred years from now, you know, be like, hey, well, we got less. this. <laughs> maybe that's, less. That's true. So, you know, and, and, that, and I think that's the point. I, I know I was asking a broad question, but I'm, I'm just curious because retail is always fascinating to me. I, I find that most retailers are the ones that really do embrace some of these technologies first in a lot of ways and are the experimenters that make it all possible for some other places. And I, 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 Ron knows about this, so he can take a little nap here. But I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the, have you guys watched the show Selfridge? Mr. Selfridge? Yeah. Right. Great show about a retailer, right? Harry Selfridge. So I'm, I'm, I know he's the guy who came up with the customers always right. <laughs> you know, he, so he's, he's ex shopping days until Christmas, Harry Selfridge, right? But, but he, he was a pioneer in this idea of retail. So ju- the whole space fascinates me as always being perhaps one step ahead of where other pe- people are going. That's why I ask the question. Do you have something to say, Stephen, on that? Or? Well, no, I agree with you 100% about the customer is always right. We, we've had that motto for a long time. Yep. And, and, and that probably, uh, in both of their businesses, Michael's and, and Kenny's, it, it relates to the same thing. Returns, merchandise returns from customers, or a sale's not really complete until the customer's happy and satisfied. And, and we have that problem, or that situation rather, it's not a problem. In fact, it's probably the opposite of a problem, but I think the same thing exists for you guys, that, that you, you want to make sure your customers are always happy. You go to the end of the earth for them, and, and as long as you have that reputation, that, that's going to go a good ways for you. Yep. No, absolutely. Michael? I just was going to follow up on the Apple Watch comment that you made. <laughs> I find it interesting because there's a, there's a parallel that people forget about. In the, in the ni- late 1970s and early 1980s in the, in the fine watch business, everybody thought that the digital watch was going to put the major watch manufacturers out of business. And as a reflex to that, you saw some of the major watch companies actually developing quartz watches and abandoning uh, their handmade movements. Now, you fast forward 25, 30 years later, and you realize that those are some of the strongest brands in the world. Rolex, Patek Philippe, Cartier, it didn't put them out of the business. In some kind of way, it made them stronger. So people talk about, well, what is the Apple Watch going to do to the watch business? And when you, you know, nobody really knows the answer to that, but I would be shocked if those brands were hurt at all by the Apple Watch business. Well, I, I think, I believe in cooperation, really. And if, if anything, it might, it might enhance those brands at some point, too. Exactly. Because it, it makes the whole thing, experience better for people. Yeah. So. You know what, I, thinking of what uh, Stephen said, technology, I think the example of what I was trying to explain is best 
in a return. I mean, you look at a return, he said, you know, it's not a problem, it's an opportunity. And I think in the type of service we have, I mean, sure, I can go and buy something on the internet and I can return it regardless. But does that solve my problem? You know, I, I bought, I don't know, a bed cover and it didn't fit, so I returned it. But I don't have a bed cover and I need the bed cover, you know. Or in my business, it's clothing. I need a particular outfit and a look that fits me right. Well, that's why you come into me. When I get that return, I'm like, what is your problem? It's not that you, you know, have a shirt that's got a hole in it. It's that you have a product you paid for and it's of no use to you. And it's an economic problem. So that's where personal service comes in. I'm there. I will make sure that everything is right for you versus your internet, uh, you know, and things like that, where it's much more in person. That's where we need to figure that out. All right. Kenny, I'm going to stay with you. We've got about five minutes left in the show. I want to ask about your, your thoughts and impressions of Sage Summit so far. Oh, well, actually, I was very impressed. I mean, I, you mentioned it's the largest gathering of small businesses, and it really is. Everything here is very focused. I've been into other conventions where it's like, you know, oh, that's, that's a little bit above my head. You know? <laughs> uh, um, but uh, here, there's, I mean, it's great. I've walked around a little bit. Actually, I like the fact that they're, uh, they've ad- I don't know if they do it at the other ones, but here in New Orleans, there's food at every booth. So that's very New Orleans. That's, that's good thinking. Uh, we, uh, we, we embrace the lanyard. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but it's really, it, it's been terrific. I, uh, I like the setup. It looks great in here. And uh, the booths have been informative. I've, uh, I got to pick up some of what's out there that, that I didn't even know was out there. Is this your first summit? Have this is my first, first summit, summit, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, great. And what, what do you think of the style with everything out in the open? Sessions, every, all, all, all there. Yeah, I mean, that's what I kind of, I guess, the, what I was alluding to is that it's, it feels very open. I mean, here, if you walk around, it's funny to be this big and still feel homey. I mean, there's couches. Uh, you know, I was like, I can go sit down and relax in this couch over here. That, that, usually, usually, convention, I'm running around between booths. And so that's great. nice. Great. Michael? Well, actually, I'll tell you, I was a little nervous when they invited me to come be a participant or a speaker at this event because. It's, this is hosted by a software company, and I'm, I'm really not as smart as the other people who run the software for our company. I'm not, I, I wouldn't consider myself an expert on anything you would ask me about. They said, well, all you have to do is tell us about you. I said, well, I'm an expert in that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've really enjoyed myself. The people have been really great. Great. And you like the format, too, the, the openness of how everything's flowing? And have you attended some sessions just to see what's up? Or I've I, I got to be honest with you. I've only t- attended my own sessions, and okay. they were fabulous. I'm sure. <laughs> Steven? Yeah, I've, I haven't attended any sessions either. We just got here this morning for okay. the first time. But but I do like this. It makes a lot of sense. I've been to coin shows and jewelry shows that have a similar kind of operation with, with a number of booths, um, but, but not quite as spread out as this. The, the space is maybe a little bit more, more costly at some of those other shows, so that's why they have to cramp things in. But you guys have really mastered it, and, and I like the way you have the thing set up. And I will walk around when I finish with you guys and, and see what there is for me to see. All right, well, come to my sessions, too. I got of course. Yeah, and I, I don't talk product either. This is the good news. I've, I have no clue about it. No. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I get I know that debits equal credits in the end, but I'm, I'm, more of a, I'm more of a business consultant. So my sessions are all about vision and strategy and questions and stuff like that. So... Kenny, I have to ask you just in the last minute or two that we have about your wall of fame. Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) Well, that was, um, we had a wall. It was basically, our building is, well, we're 91 years old. Our buildings, there's six of them, and they're 150, 160 years old. And so they're separate buildings, but we've torn walls out in areas. And this was an area where we, you had to go from the shoe department down a, a narrow hallway to where the cash desk was. And it was a big, blank, white wall. Well... I don't even remember how it started, but we had a celebrity in and said something about autograph, and he wrote on the wall. So ever since then, we started allowing different celebrities to write on the wall. We've had all kinds of people. The one, a couple that stick out in my mind, well, we had 
two of the Jacksons in, Michael and uh, Tito, and they wrote on the wall. We had a number of boxers, but Shaquille O'Neal came in, and he's his signature was easy to spot on the wall because it was at the very top left corner. Of the, he wrote way up, and he didn't he didn't stretch. He just signed right up there, and it always makes you laugh. Now we don't have that wall that we took the wall down, but we peeled the first layer off of that whole wall, so it's rolled up and, and stored upstairs in our uh, stock room. But uh, we had a we have a lot of different people that come through the store, and uh, and you took it down why? Because I think there's a story in there. Oh no, well there was uh, there's two parts. We took it down because we were opening up the sales floor. I mean, making it more. I mean, you go in now and it looks like it's one big building, um, the first floor. So we were opening it up for some other retail expansion, but the building that we took it out of in between had been a bank previously and when we tore the wall out we found a gun it was rotten it had one bullet had been fired we actually have it framed in our office upstairs and um it might be one you need steven but uh, i don't know (laughs) take a look at it but uh we don't know what the story is we've made up many but um but it was really fascinating found a gun in between the wall one bullet fired interesting Awesome. Well, hey, you guys, thank you so much, Michael, Kenny, Steve. Thank you so much for being here, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the summit. Thank Pleasure. you. Thanks a lot. All right. thank Thanks, you. guys. You want the truth? Face the facts. This is VoiceAmerica.com.